Well, good morning. What a great time in worship. Thank you, worship team. Uh, if you're just joining us this morning, welcome. My name is Brett Weston. I'm one of the pastors here and also the church planting resident here at Deer Creek Church. Our family will be planting a new church out of Deer Creek in East Centennial in just over a year which is awesome and so exciting. We've been blessed. Our family's been blessed over the past couple of years to have the encouragement, the support, the equipping of Deer Creek Church and all of you. And uh, our hope is that God will put it on your hearts, some of your hearts to come with us, to join us in this new endeavor out of Deer Creek Church. And I know that God will use you all in some way as he already has. And that is super exciting. Well, if you're just joining us, we are on our last Sunday of a series called A New You. If you missed the, the previous messages, you can go and listen online, watch online, and encourage you to do that. But we've been looking at what the Bible has to say about having a new you. Last week, we learned that having a new you means being part of a new community. How we gather in here, what we're doing right now, what we're a part of really matters. This community, what we're doing now, is a way for us to grow closer to one another, grow closer to God, but the unity that we display in here on a Sunday morning is actually a way for a divided world to see what is possible for those that have found new life in Jesus. So this morning, we're going to talk about how we scatter really matters. So how we gather really matters this morning, but also how we scatter really matters. We don't stay in here all week. It would kind of be fun for a little bit and then it would turn into a giant adult youth group lock-in. And that's a traumatizing image to think about that. But thank goodness in about an hour or so, today, tomorrow, in about an hour or so, we will be the church scattered. We will engage in some sort of occupation. We will go about our work. We don't talk much about work at church at least not from up front. I don't know if that's because it's the weekend and we kind of want to forget, we want to relax. And so we don't talk about it. But sometimes the world of business and industry, the economic realm can seem so separated from what we do on Sunday morning. Why is it that what we engage in the majority of our time, the majority of our lives doesn't seem to touch Sunday morning? I don't think that's how God intended it to be. I really don't. So our sermon topic today, continuing in our series, is called A New Work. But really, it's not so much a new work as it is a new way of seeing work for those who have found new life in Jesus. A new you, a new life brings a new outlook on work. And I think it's this. We don't worship our work, but all of our work is worship. We don't worship our work, but all of our work is worship, as long as it's work that's honoring to God. I'm not talking about Ponzi schemes and, and robbing banks and, and things like that, but as long as it is work that is honoring to God, we don't worship our work, but all of our work is worship. All work is honoring to God as an extension of what we do in here. So it can seem like we come in here to worship and then we leave and the worship is over but our work is a major part of how we worship God. So this morning, I want to talk about two of what I think are the biggest misconceptions that are out there, especially among Christians, especially among those in church, but probably among everybody, two of the biggest misconceptions about work. And the great thing is the time in the calendar now is that I know there's a few people that are getting ready to go to college, 
And so I really want you guys to lean in and pick up on some of this stuff because I think there's a lot of misconceptions out there about work. And so we'll look at that and we'll look at what does the Bible actually say about work. But before we start, I want to talk about some terms that get thrown around. The first one is actually work itself. What does it mean? What is work? One local pastor and seminary professor, Dr. Charlie Self, sums up the words for work in both the Old Testament and the New Testament as this, all moral and meaningful activity apart from leisure and rest. All moral and meaningful activity apart from leisure and rest. So the Bible describes being a priest, being a farmer, building things, helping people, even in Proverbs 31, running a household. It talks about that as work. More than just those things, actually, more than just those categories are spoken of as work. So in this room, I know we have people that clean up carpets, educate the next generation, and keep up-and-coming criminals off the street. And that just describes our stay-at-home moms. <laughs> so whether you work at home, whether you work in an office, bring home a paycheck, volunteer, or are retired from a paying job, or a stay-at-home mom and dad, work is any moral and meaningful activity done apart from leisure and rest. And here's something else that we need to know is that a good definition of work means that work doesn't only contribute dollars to the economy, work contributes value to society. Work contributes value to human flourishing. So an occupation, that which you occupy your time with is not something that may bring home a paycheck, a tangible income. Work is any endeavor that adds value to society, not always dollars to the economy. And I want us to be clear on that because students, volunteers, interns, businessmen and retirees, you've given your life of work and service. You're not done working yet. So if we understand these things, we can understand that, that all of us are engaged in work. We need to realize that our loving and our kind God has things to say to you in his word, whether you bring home an income or not. So we good on those definitions. I think we're good. Now for the misconceptions about work, I want to start with, with another term that we hear thrown about, and that's the word calling. So before we talk about some of the misconceptions, another word that we hear thrown around is calling. So here's how it's typically played out. Sometime over about a millennia ago, the word calling became reserved only for full-time religious workers. Priests, pastors, missionaries, and clergy had a calling. Everyone else just had a job. Which one sounds better? Which would you rather have? Yeah, sure. Calling, right? So we get asked, what is your calling? Or, you know, when I sing out loud up front, people say, you missed your calling. Actually, they say you've missed a lot of notes and I would never sing up front. But what is this word? Why do we have this word calling that seems to apply to some jobs, some people and not to others? Vocation is kind of used in that realm too. And here's the thing with vocation is it comes from the Latin word voca or vocare, the word for calling. So really we can start to think of vocation and calling as the same thing, interchangeable. 
Now, what we need to know is the Bible doesn't speak in terms of callings and just regular jobs. It doesn't do that. In the Old Testament, we see sometimes God would, would choose people for certain jobs. He would put his spirit on them, put his spirit in them, and a special task would be done. He would do this for priests. He would do this for prophets, rulers. And the cool thing is he would do it for craftsmen, cloth workers, and jewelers as well at different times. So he puts his spirit on them to get work done. But that's not the ordinary way that the Old Testament even talks about work. It uses the same word work for priests, farmers, craftsmen, everything else. It uses the word work. In the New Testament, the word for calling is primarily describing God calling men and women into a relationship with himself. That's the primary way that the New Testament talks about this word called calling. And then it talks about everything that comes with that, called to be holy, called to do good works, called to bless others. Romans 1.6, Paul is introducing a letter and he's introducing it to everybody in his audience. Everybody, the whole church. And he says some things, he says, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Called to belong to Jesus Christ. We're called to bless others as part of that. 1 Peter 3.9 says, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. Sometimes not, not as often as being called into a relationship with God, but sometimes the New Testament uses the word calling to refer to a domain of life that God has called you into. I love this passage. 1 Corinthians 7, 17 says this, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him into which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Let each person. Every person is called to lead a life the Lord has assigned to him or her. Isn't that exciting? It does not change the way we're gonna show up to work Tomorrow, it, it, it takes away this calling versus just a job thing. Every person is called to lead a life the Lord has assigned to him or her. So from scripture, from, from some of this, we can come up with a couple of important definitions that are gonna help us. The first one is for calling. Calling or vocation, we can say this. Callings or vocations are general and specific callings from God that edify the body of Christ and enhance the world and that transcend our current job description, our current occupational assignments. So callings are general and specific from God that edify the body of Christ, enhance the world, that transcend the occupation that we have right now. Occupations, jobs, on the other hand, are everyday labor for the glory of God and the good of others that express our vocations or callings while not being the full or only expression of those callings. So we all have callings from God, some of those we know from scripture and others we don't know. We don't know possibly the domain, the sphere that he has assigned us to use our gifts in, to find our most joy in, to use us in. We may not fully know those yet. So at different times, we will have different occupations, different jobs. And each of those, every one of those has moral and meaningful value. 
So we can probably say this, we can safely say that our callings from God include our current occupation, but are always more than just our current occupation. Our current job description is always part of our calling. Occupations change, our callings do not. I believe one of the treasures of the Reformation of the 16th century was to emphasize the priesthood of every believer who has found new life in Christ. We are all called to show and share the love of Jesus, to help steward what he's given us, to promote flourishing in society. We are all called to do that. But unfortunately, the separation of callings and jobs still exists today. But now we know that is not how the Bible sees things. Now for some misconceptions about work, there's two, I believe, that kind of haunt us, that plague us. Whether you're in the church or outside of the church, you may have sort of run up against these misconceptions. But first, how many of you remember your first job? Some of you are probably in your first job right now. But our first jobs are usually kind of colorful, kind of interesting. Uh, I remember my first job. I was 12 years old. I was assembling newspapers for the now defunct Rocky Mountain News. Kind of makes me proud out of business. But I'm pretty sure it was illegal. I would come into this dark warehouse. There's children lined up. And we would assemble newspapers for about five hours a day and come out with a black paper cut covered hand full of cash. That was my first job. It was better than my brother's first job. He wore a giant Mr. Peanut costume for a promotion at Walmart. He's here today. I love this. But I remember just so much joy as a younger brother watching him get punched and kicked by kids for free peanuts. <laughs> so much joy. Uh, I worked as a telemarketer. So that was me who called you at one point. I have caller ID. I know you hung up on me. I know you weren't nice to me. Uh, I washed dishes in a cafeteria. I was a landscape foreman. I fixed sprinklers. I worked for the post office. I worked for the airlines. I worked a Christmas at uh, JCPenney's where I just came to hate Amy Grant's Christmas album. Hate it. <laughs> Still do every day for the whole Christmas season. And eventually I ended up as a missionary and a pastor. So how do I interpret my life up till now? That I just used to have odd jobs to pay the bills, but now I have a calling? Or that God led me through a series of odd jobs, but finally led me into something that really matters? Or did it all matter? Was it all pleasing to God? Except for Amy Grant. <laughs> I think God's pleased. No, he, he is. Dear sister in Christ. Anyway, how do I interpret my life? How do I interpret all these jobs? See, a lot of us are going to go through different jobs and occupations. Does it all matter? Here's our first misconception that I believe we have. Work is the result of man's sinning in the Garden of Eden and is a necessary evil that is now part of life just to pay the bills, but God uses it anyway. I think most of us probably have been exposed to that misconception before. Maybe we still think that now as we go to work each day. But this one is the easiest one to figure out. This one is the easiest one to bust. Because all we have to do is look at 
Adam and Eve's life before sin entered the world. Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So, man, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. He makes man and woman in his image and he puts them to work. Welcome to the family, get to work. He asked them to rule. He asked them to be fruitful, both procreatively and productively. He asked them to subdue the earth. All of that is meaningful and moral activity apart from leisure and rest. Part of being in the image of God means that we are immediately put to meaningful work. There's no sin yet. Genesis 2, 4, and 5, this is the account of the heavens and earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the heavens, the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground. God planned all along for the earth to grow and bear fruit, and he planned for humans to work the ground to make that happen. No sin yet. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. No sin yet. Genesis 2.20 and 22, so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and all the wild animals, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. There was so much work to be done that not one gifting set not one outlook, not one man, not one human could do all of it. He needed a strong and suitable helper. You know, like, Adam, are you sure it's a good idea to use the top rung? The sticker says you shouldn't. <laughs> you can't plant the azaleas by the poppies. It looks terrible, Adam. No, it doesn't. What do you mean it looks terrible? No, not that kind of help. But there's so much work to be done. Isn't that amazing? There's so much work to be done that one person could not do it. No sin yet. So in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve disobey God, he says this. He says, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. So when Adam and Eve disobey God in Genesis 3, God doesn't say, now you will work. By that same logic, children would be a result of the fall as well. Although on some days, no, we all, nobody would say children. Everyone would say children are a blessing, right? He doesn't say, now you will work. Now you will bear children. But these two spheres, these two domains all of life will be hard. These two things that were given to us as good things will now be hard things. The joy in these blessings will be veiled and difficult in work and childbirth. 
The fall didn't give us work. The fall gave us and made us unfair bosses. The fall introduces unjust and predatory business practices. The fall introduces a feeling of meaningless and toil in our work. Pain from sinful parents raising sinful children. Sin put a veil over the heavenliness of work. Sin made work seem like a meaningless vapor instead of the incense of worship rising up to heaven. Work was created by God as good, not a result of the fall. It's not a necessary evil to pay the bills. It was given to us by a kind and creative God to bear his image. Work doesn't give us dignity or purpose. That would be putting our dignity and purpose in something fleeting. But it shows loud and clear that God has given us dignity and purpose as his image bearers. That is clear from the opening three chapters of the Bible. The second misconception I want to look at is this. Unless you are a full-time religious worker, work has no spiritual value, but only material value. Furthermore, the way that I make my work have spiritual value is to use the money I make to support religious causes or to tell people about Jesus at work. So maybe we get the first one. We say, okay, I know it's a gift from God. I know it's not the result of sin, but still it's just sort of a material thing. But I think this is a lie that keeps Christians, churches, and pastors from connecting Sunday to Monday, connecting today to tomorrow. I think it keeps us from including whole life discipleship as a regular part of our churches. I think it keeps us from finding intrinsic joy in our work. You see, God is not just concerned about heaven and hell, but the whole, all of life. So God created work when there was only one human and no sin. Who was Adam supposed to tell about Jesus? I think God already knew. That wasn't the purpose of his work. It was simply to help God's creation flourish and to reflect the image of God. That was the purpose of his work. Work has intrinsic value, not just instrumental value. Work doesn't have value only as an instrument to deliver the gospel message or money for the mission. But it's God who takes the occupation he's given you and given me and he uses it as an instrument to spread the glory of his kindness to all humanity, to spread resources for his kingdom, to show and share his love. But that's not the only inherent value of our work. We see this in scripture. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17 says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I love the next part. Verse 23 says this, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your award. You are serving the Lord Christ. Your occupation in business, in engineering, in human services, auto mechanics, motherhood, fatherhood, whatever it might be, has value simply because you are reflecting the image of God and because it helps bring flourishing to our world in some way. We don't worship our work, but all of our work 
is worship. One of my favorite jobs I've ever had is working for the post office. I would work there any chance I got to pay my way through college. I worked in oversized priority mail, so the big boxes. I would sort them, pull damaged ones, take the good ones for myself. No, I didn't do that. But a couple days into it, this kid named Jamie shows up. Jamie was literally trying to make his way from Philly to LA and his car broke down in Denver and he didn't have the money to fix it. So he just gets a job and he starts working. It was great. And uh, Jamie and I ended up talking about God and uh, he shared with me that he could not ever get into heaven because he had tattoos. And he was really bummed about that. Told him it was a shame and we changed the subject to football. No. I said, where did you hear that? It was from the Bible? Show me. And I kept a little Bible at work. So I pulled it out. We looked at it. And he said, no, just some Christians told me that. We looked at what the Bible had to say about salvation by grace through faith alone. Pretty soon a guy named Reuben came over. Reuben was retired, but needed more income. He was a Christian, came over, heard this conversation. We all started talking about Jesus. I loved coming to work to watch Jamie know more about who Jesus is and why that matters. God used my job at the post office to take a barrier away from Jamie knowing him, and I loved it. But that wasn't the only reason why my job had value. That was not the only reason why my job was pleasing to God. By working at the post office, I was able to help countless people, tens of thousands of people connect with one another, send gifts to each other, Businesses send parts to help heat and cool things, parts for medical machines, paint to make things beautiful, documents that kept financial transactions safe and legal, all sorts of things that my work for the postal system did for the flourishing of society. My job had value and was pleasing to God because I was helping to reflect his image and bring flourishing to mankind. Do you see the difference? not just because I talked about Jesus at work. So shame on all of you for thinking bad about the post office. <laughs> Our jobs have intrinsic value. The great reformer Martin Luther once said, I love this quote, he said, the Christian shoemaker does his duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes because God is interested in good craftsmanship. Doesn't that make you want to worship God? We don't worship our work, but all our work is worship if it's work that honors God. See, we can, we, it can seem that we come in here on Sunday morning as worshipers and we leave just as workers. But work is made to be an act of worship. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And if we're told to do all for the glory of God, wouldn't it make sense that one of the greatest ways we can glorify him is by where we spend the greatest amount of our time? Not only time in church, that's an hour or two a week. Not only in time reading God's word, that's 15 minutes to an hour each day. Not only time praying, that's five minutes or an hour each day. Not even time resting, that's two days a week. But wouldn't it make sense that since we spend the most of our time in our occupation, that is the primary way that God wants to get glory for himself on this earth. I think it is. And if we only measure the value of our work by how many dollars we give to ministry or by how many people we tell about Jesus at work, most of our work is not gonna matter. 
If we don't connect Sunday to Monday, we will miss one of God's greatest means of spreading his glory to the world. And as I plant the church, as we plant the church out of this place, can a church really have an impact on a community if it's all about one day a week? I don't think so. I don't think so. So how, what do we do now? How do we see, how do we change the way we show up to work tomorrow? How should this all impact us right now? Well, I wanna propose four things, not in any particular order, but four things that if we do these, hopefully this will help us begin to connect Sunday to Monday. The first one is take joy in your occupation. I know that's the same as just saying, stop it. Or just do it saying, take joy in your occupation. But here's what I mean by that. A recent Gallup poll showed that 85% of people don't like their jobs. 51% feel no connection to their job. 16% are what Gallup very kindly calls actively disengaged, which means they gripe and complain and cause more harm than good at work. Sometimes people describe me that way here, doing more harm than good. Taking joy in your work doesn't mean pasting on a smile and going to work. But it means this. Here's the perspective shift. You can take joy in your job because you know that God takes joy in your job. So I'd encourage you this week to, as an exercise, write down all of the ways that your job contributes to society, contributes to human flourishing and reflects the image of God. If you're raising children in the Lord, managing a household, you're contributing to human flourishing. If you pump gas at a gas station eight hours a day, there's probably nothing in the city that is not touched by your job, that your job doesn't help in some way. List them, make it fun. Try to list 30 or 50. Second, pray for opportunities to show and share Jesus at your job. This starts by working hard looking for ways to innovate, make things better, writing injustices that you see, treating your employees with dignity and kindness, giving back to the community, helping the unemployed, the poor, the disabled, using your business for the common good. Or the one I fail at so often, showing our kids the fruit of the spirit and the value of work. That is showing Jesus in and through our work. We show it and then we can share it we have to show it. People don't want to see Jesus. They don't want to encounter the gospel, the good news of grace in a booklet. They don't want to have to come to church and listen to theological discussion in order to encounter Jesus. They want to see Jesus in the dirt and the grit of everyday work and life. That's the honor that we have by working. It's not the only reason why our work has value, but it certainly is a fantastic opportunity that God has given us for people to see a real working faith. Thirdly, know the difference between your callings and your occupation. Your current occupation may not be the domain that God will eventually call you to permanently. Ask God about that. Courageously seek opportunities and counsel to make the most of your gifts and your abilities that God might be calling you to use. That may mean a job change or just seeing current opportunities in your occupation. 
But know this, know that your current occupation, no matter if it's the best fit now or where you'll end up perfectly or permanently, has inherent value in reflecting God's image and bringing flourishing to our city. And finally, bring your work into the church. Why do I say that? Help us not separate Sunday to Monday. We can't keep doing this. One Tuesday night last year, we had an elder meeting here at the church. One of our elders, Bob Schmitz, he he brings in this disc of material from his job and on it has countless billions of transistors, each one that's gonna be in a cell phone that has more computing power than the computers that NASA used to put men on the moon. He brings this in and we're supposed to be talking about Jesus-y things and churchy things. And we're just looking at this thing and we just burst out, we just start praying and praising God for how awesome he is. It was all heavenly stuff. It's all kingdom stuff. The church needs you to talk about your work in here. And I've learned as, as, as I've began planning a church, I've been amazed at all the skills that God has given his people. Demographic work and planning and finance and all these things. See, I think a lot of Christians are burned out doing church work and Christian work because they feel like their day-to-day job doesn't count. So we try to do more. We try to do spiritual stuff because our job isn't spiritual, but it's all kingdom stuff. We need to bring our, op- our occupations into the fabric of the church. Wouldn't that be awesome if we did that? Well, those four things are just to start. I love this topic. I think we could probably preach about work for a whole series because I know the Bible has so much to say about it. Almost all of us want to have a new you. And we know a new you doesn't come from new stuff. You know that. It doesn't come from a new relationships. It doesn't even come from a new job. It starts with new life in Jesus. As part of that new life, we're part of a growing kingdom, a new community, and we get a new outlook on work. It's been a great time in the Word looking at that. If you want to talk about anything about starting new life in Jesus, come talk to me, come talk to someone else. You can fill out a Connect card or you can join the small group uh, Christianity Explored. Joseph mentioned small groups are starting. If you have questions about new life, this new you, join the Christianity Explored small group. It's great. If you want to hear more about the church plant or talk about being a part of that, Aaron and I are available for coffee, lunch. We'd love to talk with you about the church plant. You'll be hearing a lot more about that in the coming year and how you can be involved as Deer Creek launches something new.